think of an ordinary athlete, and they go through, and they show up to soccer practice, and they do their thing, and, and, and then you see the extraordinary kid where he's just, he's there, he stays after, and, 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 and there's maximum concentration as far as, like, how to hit that shot, or maximum concentration as far as, you know, preparing himself for the match, and getting himself psyched up, and getting himself ready, and, 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 and you take that, and you, and you, you go into the Christian life, and like, like, like for me, there's, there's a desire to be extraordinary. Like I, don't, I don't, I don't want to be ordinary. I don't, I don't want to be just an okay husband or an okay dad or just an average pastor or average friend or average whatever. I, 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 my mind goes to, like, with, with all my might, I want to do this thing. And yet, when you think of the people in Scripture and you think of, those that we would look to as far as like extraordinary, Peter, James, John, Paul. You go through, just, you go through the, the, the apostles and they're, right? They're the apostles. They're extraordinary. And yet you look in Scripture and what we find is these are not extraordinary people. These are very ordinary people who serve a very extraordinary God. It's just a difference. It's not about whether we are extraordinary. It's the fact of who it is that we serve, who it is that is working in us, who it is that's working through us. And we come to a place in John chapter 21 where Christ has risen again from the dead. He's appeared before the disciples. He's appeared before the women. He's told the disciples to go to Galilee. And so it is there that they're supposed to be waiting. But... To put this into its context a little bit, I want to look at someone that the church would look at as extraordinary, um, someone that we would look at possibly as extraordinary, and I want to put this in perspective as far as who it is that Peter was. You think of his calling that God had called him with. There he is, and, and Luke chapter 5 talks about it. There's these, these two boats that are there standing by the lake and fishermen that have gone out from them, and they're, they're washing their nets, and Jesus gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which is Peter's boat. So here he is. He's washing his nets. He's in these boat, the, the, this one of the two boats, and Jesus gets in, and he asks him to just push away from the land a little bit. And so Jesus sits in the boat and he begins to teach the multitudes from the boat. Multitudes of people have come to him and here's Jesus sitting in Peter's boat. Picks that boat, that's what I'm going to sit in. Peter pushed out a little bit from the shore. And he starts to teach the people. And when he stopped speaking, he said to, to Simon who later became Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Simon responds and he says, Master, we've toiled all night and we caught nothing. I just came in. I, we've been, we're fishermen. Like, I'm washing my nets. I, I, 
I've been out there all night and I didn't catch one fish. Not one. Then he says, but nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. So he does. And it says they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats, both of the boats, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to the land, land, they forsook all, and they followed Christ. You, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You're going to catch men. And so we watch the life of Peter, and there's some just incredible times for Peter. Times in which he sees things that are just extraordinary. He sees miracle after miracle. He sees Jesus in the transfiguration. He watches all that takes place. People raised from the dead and people healed of of, of blindness or being mute or deaf or lame. Incredible miracles. Listening to the teaching of Christ for the next three years. We see that Jesus asked him a question in Matthew 16 where he's saying, who do men say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And and Peter's the one who answers. And he says, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You're, You're so blessed. You're right in saying that that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the way you came to know this was my Father who's in heaven. He taught you this. We see Peter being someone who's impulsive and he's hot-tempered and he says things that are things that you just ought not to say. Like when Jesus says to the disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after all, I've been raised. I will go before you to where? To Galilee. So Peter says to him, even if all are made to stumble, if everyone's made to stumble, yet I will not be. Everybody else can stumble. Everybody else can fall. Everybody else can wander. Everybody else can do it, but it's not going to be me. No way, not me. And Jesus says, Surely I say to you that even this night before the rooster crows twice, you'll have denied me three times. But he spoke even more vehemently and said, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. If I have to die with you, I am not going to deny you. That there is this 
confidence in Peter. I will not deny you. Absolutely, I will not deny you. I will die with you. And Peter's a leader. People listen to Peter and they follow Peter. Over and over again. It tells right after that, he says, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write, and they all said likewise. Peter's the first to say it, and everybody else is like, right on. We'll die with you too. We're not going to deny you either. We're not going to be made to stumble either. And, and, and Peter's the leader. So much self-confidence in himself as far as like, I can do this. I can do it. Then the other disciples looked at him as leader as well. In Luke 22, we see that the Lord says to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and that when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. We find it over and over again where he's just saying, I'm not, I, not me, Lord. Not me, I'm, I'll go to prison with you. I will go to death with you. Jesus says, or Simon Peter says to Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answers him, you will lay down your life for my sake. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. And so we see a proud, boastful, self-confident man. We see him, in fact, fail miserably. When Jesus asks them to watch and pray when he's in the garden, he comes specifically to Peter when Peter's asleep. Says to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what does he do? Peter immediately goes and he falls asleep again. Couldn't you just watch and pray for one hour? Now I know, I recognize I, that, that there has been times for me where like I'm just, I would love to keep my eyes open, but I just cannot. I'm just exhausted. I, I remember one time it was the worst. I, I, was, I was in Vietnam and I was, I was teaching in Vietnam to several pastors and I got like this allergic reaction to something, so I thought like oh, I'm going to take a Benadryl. And I, I took a Benadryl, and and I, honestly, like I, I was falling asleep, like in between, like me saying something and the interpreter interpreting it. I, I was I was dying, and I I, mean, I, I, I sat there. I'm like I'm going to fall asleep in my own sermon right now. Like I I was literally just. Struggling, I was like, I cannot, I, I, I cannot do this. But you know the feeling, and, 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 and yet I, I don't know that it's just that Peter's exhausted. I think there, there's such a confidence in Peter that when Jesus is saying, could you not watch and pray for one hour? In his mind, it's, 
I'm too tired, and why do I need prayer right now? See, Jesus, he's, he's about ready to be betrayed, and he's about ready to be arrested, and he's about ready to go before Pontius Pilate and be tried and crucified. And yet in Peter's mind, it's, why do I need to pray? We often can say of ourselves, I'm totally dependent upon God. But the reality of that coming out in your life is what is your prayer life like? Are, are we at a place of, I, I, I just, I need to go before him in prayer? Or are we those that are just quick to fall asleep because there's so much confidence in ourselves that we don't call upon God for the enabling? Peter was that man. Not only that, but when it comes to denying Christ, we see that there's a, a girl that sees him and says, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Um, you're with him, right? You, you are Jesus of Galilee. And we see time after time, Peter denying Christ to a young servant girl. It's not that, that he's petrified. It's before a young servant girl in which he denies Christ and then he denies Christ again and denies Christ again. He is someone who is an ordinary, ordinary man. He's someone who is proud, self-confident. He's someone who's prone to wander. He's someone who sins and sins greatly. We're told that when the rooster crowed after Peter denied Jesus the third time, that Jesus turned and looked at Peter on the third time. And Peter went out and Luke twenty two sixty two says he went out and he wept bitterly. Just wept bitterly. Has that ever been you? You're at a place of I have failed so miserably. And you just go and you just weep bitterly. That's Peter. Ordinary. But Jesus goes and he begins to show him grace in the most incredible ways. It begins by Jesus saying to Mary Magdalene, go and, and tell his disciples and Peter after Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee and you will see him there as he said to you. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. I say that's grace because it, it had to be precious to Peter to hear that. Did he say and Peter? And Peter. He specifically said my name. After I denied him three times, he said Go tell Peter. If it were me and 
Mary came to me and said, like, I saw Jesus, and this is what he said. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I would say, can we do that one more time? I, I need to make sure that what you just said was what really happened. Don't exaggerate, Mary. Did he specifically say my name? If he didn't say it, surely he thought it. But I would guess that it hit him in an incredible way. We see him run into the tomb and John outruns Peter. Peter goes straight in. He sees the empty tomb. We watch the Lord appear to him. And now we we come to a place where they've been specifically told. So Peter, he's already seen the risen Christ. A week's gone by. Now more time's gone by. We're in John chapter 21. And he's appeared now to Thomas, the one who said, unless I could put my fingers in his wounds in his hand and in his side, I won't believe. He's appeared to Peter. He's appeared to Thomas. He's appeared to all of the disciples. And they're supposed to go to Galilee. Um, We're told in, in, in Matthew 28, it says, go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and indeed he's going before you into Galilee. Um, specifically in verse 16, it says, so then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So he had specifically said, go, I've appointed a mountain for you to go to. Go to this mountain there in Galilee. Um, And so when we come to John chapter 21, it begins by saying, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Um, You might say, well, it says the Sea of Tiberias. Well, in John chapter 6, verse 1, it says, the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, the latter being its Roman name. Um, So he's at the Sea of Galilee. That's where the disciples are at. And it says, and in this way, he showed himself. So here we are at the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter's there. Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee. And two others of his disciples were together. So we have seven of the disciples that are there. I don't know where the other four are. Um, But they're there and they're at the Sea of Galilee. And Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now, just remember this, put it in a context, where they're told, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee, I will meet you there. Peter's there, and he goes to Galilee, and the other disciples are there as well. And, and he's sitting there, and I, there's questions as far as, like, what's taking place here, but I, I think he's in disobedience here. He's sitting there, he's been told, go to Galilee, so he's there in Galilee, and I can picture him there in Galilee going, like, when's he coming? He said he's going to meet us here in Galilee. He's not here in Galilee. Where is, when is he coming? What are we supposed to do? We've been sitting around. We've been waiting. We've been doing all this, and he's not here. And I'm going fishing. I'm going back into my boat. I'm going to go out there into the water. I'm going fishing. Maybe it's there. He's like, I'm hungry. I need food. Or I'm going to go get some food. So we, I mean, he's not here anymore to provide for us or to care for us or to go make us catch a fish and fish spits up a coin. I, I need to go catch some fish. And so I'm going I'm going fishing. And it says, and they said to him, We're, we are going with you also. So the other disciples follow him, seven of them. We're going fishing with you. We'll go with you. Again, the leader, but not doing necessarily what he was supposed to be doing. 
And so they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. They go out and all night long, not one fish comes into their net. Not one. And so here they are in their own efforts doing what they think, like we're going fishing, we're going to go fishing, we're going to go catch fish, we're going to do what we've done, we're going to do what we've been known to do. We have did this for the majority of our life until we left our nets there three years ago. We're going fishing and they don't catch a single fish. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? And they answer, no. He's there on the shore. Children, do you have any food? No. So he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now just think of that. If you're a fisherman, you're out there all night. This is what you do. This is your career. This is what you've been known to do. You catch fish and you go and you sell these fish and you've been taking your, your, your fish and they've been on the left side of the, the, the net on the left side of the boat and you've been going all around and trying to catch fish. You haven't caught one fish all night and you hear someone, you got any food? No. One of the hardest things for a fisherman to say, right? Like, have you caught anything? No, not yet, you know. No, no, no food. I got no food. We have nothing. Well, take your net out. Huck it on the right side. Throw it on the right side. And you're thinking, what, are there more fish over there on that side of the boat? I mean, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. You could think like, hey, there, there's a cove over there, and it's got a lot of fish over there. You should try that cove. That's my favorite fishing cove. No. Jesus just says, take the boat off, or the net off the left side and throw it onto the right side. So they do. So they cast and Now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning John, says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now remember when he's called. There's two boats. He goes out from the shore. They didn't catch any fish all night. Jesus goes and tells them what to do with the net, and they bring in so much fish that it's ready to sink the boats. John sees and says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. To me, this is such an amazing section of Scripture. Because I'm there, I'm there with Peter. I'm like, you're... How many times are you just like, you are an idiot. Like, why do you do stuff like that? And why do you fall like that? And why do you fail like that? And you should know better by now. And, and you just know, like, we're so prone to wander. And, I, and I, I can identify with Peter, just you're that one that's like, now he's appeared and, and you got anxious and you took all the disciples and you've gone into the boat again. And you're out fishing and you haven't caught a single thing all night. And now you've reluctantly throw the net on the other side and you bring up more fish than you even know what to do with and Captain Obvious says, it's the Lord. <laughs> he looks at himself and he's like, I don't even got a shirt on. I don't even have a shirt on. I can't approach him like this. 
So what does he do? He throws his shirt on. Most people think, like, I'm going to take my shirt off before I jump in the water. Not Peter. Peter's just, I got, I got to get a shirt on before I, I mean, that's, it's the Lord. And so Peter puts his shirt on, and it says, and he, he plunges into the sea. But the other disciples, John says, came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. They're about 100 yards from the land. So Peter's looking, and he sees the 100 yards. And in his mind, he's looking like, do you guys, you guys can't row fast enough. You can't get me to that shore fast enough. I'm throwing my shirt on, I'm jumping in, I'm swimming. There is this eagerness to see the Lord. There is a change that's taking place in Peter, Mr. Confident, that when the risen Lord comes, he, he cannot wait to be in his presence. It's not fast enough to take the boat. I want to be with him now, now, immediately. Peter knew that he was a sinner. He knew his failure. And he knew the heart of his Savior. Even with the knowledge of who his Savior was and even the knowledge of his sin, he was still prone to wander. Let's get into the boat. I'm going fishing. His timing's not my timing. I'm not willing to wait. I'm going fishing. And all of his labors left him with no fish overnight. But when the Lord commands him to do something, throw the fish on the, the net on the other side, it's filled to the rim with fish. But Peter, as soon as he sees the Lord, plunges into the sea and swims to him. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Now, think of your Savior. The one in whom has cared for these disciples this entire time. He's risen again from the dead. His disciples, seven of them are out there fishing, not catching a thing all night. And he's there to minister to them. One note is this. Both in Luke chapter 5, when Peter's called, as well as in this particular instance in John chapter 21, you see the sovereignty of Christ, the sovereignty of God. There's not a fish that can go into a net unless God determines for that to happen. Not only that, but when God says, throw the net onto the other side, he's sovereign over every fish to where these fish just are like, wherever they are in that sea, they come swarming to that net. 153 of them in this particular case swim right into this net. He's sovereign over it. Secondly, looking at our text here, Jesus is there on the land 
And he has a fire that is made with coals that are there, with a fish that's laid on it, and bread. He is there to care for their every need. There's nothing that's too hard for him. I don't think that he sat there and said, I need to collect some coals. I need to get somebody to try to make a fire. I need to get a fish. I need to find some dough. I'm going to make breakfast for these guys. I think he just said, boom, spoke it into existence. It's there. Because the fact of the matter is there's nothing that's too hard for him. There's just nothing too hard for him. You may be in your business and you may be in your occupation. You may be living this life and you're looking at it just going like, we don't have enough. We just don't have enough. And you may be striving and striving and striving and doing all these things. But if you're not where God wants you to be, it doesn't make it so that you're guaranteed blessing. I mean, he, he can make it so there's not one fish that swims into the net. He can make it so there's not one customer that goes through the door. But at the same time, he is a God that can make it so that every fish swims right into the net. And he can make coals and fire and fish and loaves. He's a God that is able to provide. There's nothing that's too hard for him. And so he says, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. I think this is noteworthy to me. I mean, you look at Peter. Peter's that guy, jumps in the water, swims to shore. But when God calls him to do something, throw the net on the other side, what happens? 153 fish jump in. Not only that, but now he's on the shore and Jesus says, go get some of the fish that you've just caught. So what happens? Peter jumps immediately, runs to the shore, grabs a net full of how many big fish? 153. Now imagine this. I mean, I, 153 big fish. It specifically says they're big fish. We're not talking about, you know, goldfish. There's 150 big fish. If you go to Israel, you'll go, and there's, on the Sea of Galilee, there's a place that you can eat called Simon, or, uh, St. Peter's Restaurant, and you can get these fish that they bring you with the head and tail and everything, and it's a, it's a big old fish. And it's not that good, but you, you eat it, and, and it, <laughs> they bring it to you. But there, here's, here's 153 fish, big fish, that are there in the net. And Peter just goes, he grabs the net... And pulls the whole thing up onto shore. This isn't a small task. I mean, you don't see him like, come on, guys, can I get some help here? You want me to move 153 fish? I mean, each of them weigh a couple pounds, and you're, you're wanting me to carry this up onto the shore? No, in Peter's mind is, what would you say, Lord? I'll go grab the net. I'll go grab the fish. I'll bring the whole net. I'll carry the whole thing. And it tells us, John tells us specifically, so... So Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. He did it. He is eager to serve the Lord. 
eager to do whatever it is that you call me to do, Lord, I will do. And even though he's prone to wander, and even though he fails miserably, and even though he gets anxious and goes out into the boat and goes fishing again, there is grace that is there. There is provision that is there. There is a loving Savior that's upon the shore calling upon them to throw the nets onto the other side to provide for them and to provide for them so miraculously that there's no question but to react by saying, it is the Lord. It's him. He did this. He provided. He's on the shore. He told us to come to Galilee. We're supposed to be up on the mount. We're not there, yet he's still on the shore ministering us. Coals, fish, bread, everything that we need is right there on the shore for us, and he is there to just love on us, to care for us. 153 fish. I will go pick up that net and carry it up here. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus says to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And looking upon this, we see failure in Peter, as well as the rest of the disciples. And at the same time, we see the heart of our God calling them to do certain things and then enabling them. We also see him not blessing their own efforts when they're doing something that he has not yet called them towards. I think of John 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. He had called them in Luke chapter 5 to become fishers of men. And they were out there in their boats again, fishing. Now they've come and he blesses them with 153 fish. And the fact of the matter is that net does not break. Christ is calling Peter now, be fishers of men. And there will be a net that brings in a harvest of men, and that net will not break. It won't. He takes the bread, and he gives it to him, and likewise the fish. Peter learned in an incredible way, as well as the rest of the disciples, the heart of our God. A God who ministers to us, a God who desires to be with us, a God who desires to provide for us and to care for us and to love on us. I think of Jesus in the book of Revelation where he's speaking to the church of Laodicea. And he says to them specifically, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He's talking to the church and he's saying, you're neither cold nor hot. You're you're just lukewarm. You notice Pastor Matt did something that he doesn't normally do, nor did we talk about it beforehand, but specifically just did a corporate prayer of repentance. Even for just the lukewarmness of our hearts. There's times where we fit into the same category. Jesus said to this particular church, because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy 
and have need of nothing? You're lukewarm. I would look at the church across our country and say, this probably defines most of the church in America more than any of the other churches that you find there in the book of Revelation. We're rich. Even though you don't maybe feel like you're rich, go with us on a trip to Africa and you'll feel rich real quick. Um, I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And so we're, we're far less prone to watch and pray for one hour. We just feel comfortable. But he says, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of, you, of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Peter was zealous. Um, but he was also zealous to repent. Jesus goes from there to say to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and dine with him and he with me. A radical, radical statement from the Lord. You picture him there on the shore with the coals and the fish and the bread. Repent. Those that I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be in that place. Don't think I'd have no need of him. Repent. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. We will sup together. I pray that we would look at the account here of Peter and the rest of the disciples. And upon hearing the words of the Lord, Come and, and knock, and, and, and I'll answer. Or, or, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone that hears my voice answers, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. Then we would be like Peter, just let me throw my, my shirt on first. I'm going to plunge myself in the sea. I can't wait to just be with you. I just want to be with you. And Jesus said, I will dine with you and you with me. It's part of growing and it's part of learning. It's part of knowing who it is that we're going to find. If we've been in a place of self-confidence saying like Peter, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I'll be never be made to stumble. Um, I pray that through accounts like this, we would learn in such a way of we are solely and completely dependent upon him. We are not extraordinary people. We serve an extraordinary God. <laughs> he is an extraordinary God.
He is one and even in all the failures that we've done in our lives. He's still the one that says, come. He's still the one that says, throw the net on the other side. He still is the God that says, I got coals here and I have hot fish and I have bread. Come, dine with me. I love that later on in Peter's life, in 1 Peter, he's talking to the younger people and he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Just have humility clothe you because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Peter learned that, probably in an incredible way on that day. He was proud, and he found grace for the humble. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, And God exalted him in due time. He casted his cares upon Christ. And he says, do this because he, he what? He cares for you. We serve an extraordinary God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. We serve an extraordinary God who provides for our needs. We serve an extraordinary God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We serve an extraordinary God who gives us the Holy Spirit to minister to us and to work in us and to cause fruit to come out of our lives. We serve an extraordinary God who takes ordinary people like ourselves and like Peter. And he enables us to do things for his kingdom that we would never be able to do otherwise. Never. I think of my youth pastor when I was a junior in high school saying, teach a Bible study on your campus. Chibuca Hills High School, it's the only one that doesn't have a Bible study on their campus. And I'm like, there's no way I'm teaching a Bible study on campus. There's absolutely no way that I'm doing that. So a year goes by. In between my junior and senior year, just do a Bible study on campus. Just, I'll give you material. You just invite some people. Finally agreed upon it. Invited two people. 15 people showed up. Scared to death I was. I, I am the one that I tremble. I mean, public speaking for me, I would tremble at public speaking. And I, I remember the Lord just enabling me to do that. We got to a place we had over 100 people coming on a regular basis to that Bible study on campus. And I sat there just going, it's all the Lord. I remember for a brief part of my senior year, I had a speech to do, just a two-minute speech on whatever I wanted to pick, but it had to be something teaching people how to do something. And so I, I had like this pair of binoculars that were made out of paper with little magnifying things, and I was going to teach them how to put this thing together. It was towards the end of my senior year. And I remember the thought came into mind of like, I'm not afraid to do this anymore. 
Like, I can do this speech in front of my 30 classmates because I can speak in front of people now. I never could before, but now I can. And, and I was so excited to do this speech because now I can do it. I, I, I've overcome my fear of people in public speaking. And so I took the, the thing and I was going to explain how to put this thing together. It was only a two-minute speech. I started, like, shaking violently. My lip was like, you know, like, and I was dying inside. I, I couldn't talk, and I'm looking, and, like, my class, like, they were laughing. They were laughing so hard. I look at my teacher, who's a believer, and he is in stitches. Like, I cannot do it. I can't do it. I, and I'm like fumbling through it and I just can't wait for the two minutes to be over and I sat there afterwards and I just thought like may there never be any confidence in the flesh when God calls you to do something he can enable you to do it even when it's not what you're prone to do when he's called you towards something he can make 153 fish jump into a net when he's called you towards something he can enable you to do it because he is the one that is doing it. And may God help us to attempt extraordinary things for an extraordinary God, knowing that he's the one that can enable us to do it. And then let's give him all the glory for it. Amen? Amen. I pray, I pray that we as a congregation would be used by the Lord to have a great impact on our friends, on our family, on our loved ones, on our city, on our nation, and even to the ends of this earth. But it's not going to become from extraordinary people. It's going to come from very ordinary people serving a very extraordinary God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. I, I thank you for being on that shore on that day to meet the disciples. I thank you for your sovereign hand to keep any fish from going into that net so that the next day you can make it so 153 jumped in. I thank you for your loving hand just to provide for them and to care for them and your grace towards them and the way in which you minister to these disciples, Lord, and the way in which that ministry has now impacted us. Very sinful, very ordinary people. And yet we think of how from that small group of people, the gospel's gone throughout every continent on this globe. Your Holy Spirit has saved us. And it's the same Holy Spirit who works in us and ministers through us and gifts us and does things for the purpose of your glory and for your kingdom and to bring people to salvation and to minister one to another. And we ask you, Lord, just to do extraordinary things through our lives and we will give you all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.